right, this morning we're going to be in the book of Galatians in uh, chapter number one. So I've uh, been fortunate the pastors allowed me to, to teach this class since January of uh, 2020, I think is whenever I started. And we were down in the old building, in the old, uh, in the old sanctuary. And I knew at some point, the way that I do things, at some point I was going to show up and not have my notes. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. It was just going to, you know, today is the day, guys. Today is that day. What I do is I, I do my notes and I put them on a USB drive. And then I bring them and I print them out here. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong between the time that I make the notes and put them on the USB and get them to church. And I, I'm not an IT guy, so if something goes wrong. But I just flat just left the USB on my dresser this morning when I walked out of the house. So uh, it wasn't anything here at the church. It was just my own stupidity. So this may be really bad and really fast. We're going to find out together. We'll see how this goes. But uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. And uh, <laughs> who has a photographic memory? You let me know. Uh, uh, so I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached to my body. But um, uh, we're, we're going to be in the book of Galatians today. And as we've been going through progressively through the, um, the 52 favorite chapters of the Bible that were voted upon by this class, we come to the book of Galatians. And this is an important book for a whole host of reasons. Um, the, the theme of the book of Galatians is the liberty that we have in Christ. It's, it's we, are, we have Christian liberty, that's the theme. And what was going on in this area, this, this area of Galatia was made up of several different churches, Derby, Lystra, some of the other ones that you might have read about in the book of Acts, um, or Paul maybe referenced in other, some of his other epistles, but this area was called Galatia. And, uh, and Paul had actually founded these churches on his first missionary journey. He had started these churches, and what he would normally do in most cases, whenever you read the book of Acts, he'd go into a town, and he would start at the temple, and he would begin reaching those people that were already maybe Jews or had been converted to Judaism and they were Gentiles. And he would proclaim to them that the Messiah had come and, and begin them in the Christian faith. And that's what happened here in this area. And so he wrote a church to this general group of churches in this area. It was a rural area. It was a farming community. Um, and so these are the kind of people that, uh, that Paul was working with. And Paul couldn't stay there. Now, Paul was a church planter. So he would come and he would sometimes he was only in churches for a matter of weeks. And he would move on. And sometimes he was there for a couple of years, like in Corinth um, or in Ephesus. Uh, but in this particular place, he wasn't able to stay very long. And so after he left, the Jews begin to go back to these people that had been converted. And they begin, to, they begin to convince them or tempt them to go back into uh, keeping the law. Uh, keeping all the religious ceremonies and all the Judaism and all the stuff that they had been, they had been delivered from. And so Paul is writing back to them saying that you have liberty in Christ, um, that you are, you are free from the law, you are free from the bondage of the law, and oh, by the way, the law can't save you anyway. Right. The only thing the law can do is condemn you, and so why are you going back to that which you've been freed from? And so this is the theme, and this is the message that Paul is trying to get through to these people to say, don't go back to what you came out of. Um, you've been freed from that, and you no longer have to keep all those uh, Jewish laws because they, never, they could never save you anyway. And so that's what the book of Galatians is all about. And so whenever Paul begins to write to them, uh, if, we're, if we're not careful, we'll, most, we'll misunderstand his intention. We're going to read through in chapter 1, maybe chapter 2. It depends on how this goes. I don't know. Uh, but what you'll see is, you'll, you will, if you're not understanding, you'll think that Paul is defending himself. But Paul is not defending himself. Paul is defending the gospel. Um, uh, but Paul uses the gospel, or he uses his testimony to defend the gospel. And so what you're going to find the first couple of verses is Paul 
kind of kind of sets the scene in in some of his letters that you that you if you read the first the first um, verse it's you know uh, my beloved or grace and peace to you and he does say that in here but he starts in a different tone similar to the tone in the book of Romans where he starts with um, you know why why should why should you listen to me uh, Paul's writing this letter why should why should my opinion be held uh, and greater esteem than the opinion of these Jews that are trying to tempt you to come back into Judaism and religion. Why should you listen to me? And so he begins his letter by saying, Paul, an apostle. And so Paul is declaring there, he's saying, uh, the reason that why you should listen to me is I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, a special, um, a special uh, 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 gift to the church called an apostle. Um, there are some people that will call themselves apostles today, but they do not, need, they do not be, meet the biblical qualifications right. of being an apostle. To be in a biblically, the biblical um, requirements to be an apostle is you had to be saved and baptized, uh, which, okay, um, uh, most of us hopefully here would apply to that. But the third one's the hard one. You had to have seen the risen Christ, okay? So um, the people that are calling themselves apostles today, uh, they have a problem. Uh, but Paul, if you recall in Paul's personal testimony um, on the road to Damascus, he, he was, he was uh, stopped by Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul actually saw the risen Christ so he could claim this title of being an apostle and because this was a special gift to the church it had special authority and so Paul was writing to this church saying hey don't forget when I came to you I was an apostle I have a special mission um, I, and that's actually what the word apostle means it means be, being given a special message or commission that's what the word means and so Paul is clarifying to them hey I'm an apostle and not am I standing saying listen to me because I'm so great but I've been given this this gift to give to the church by Jesus Christ. And he says, he goes on to say here, not of men, neither by man, but of Jesus Christ and God uh, the Father who raised him up from the dead. And you're going to see Paul repeating this, this kind of theme again and again, saying, this wasn't my plan. Right. Paul's plan for his life was completely different than this. And what Paul is saying is, this wasn't my choice. This is not what I, this is not what I would have chosen. And so the reason you can believe me is I don't have ulterior motives. Paul, if, Paul was, uh, if Paul had ulterior motives, he could have stayed as a Jew and could have been much more successful. But he's taking on this burden of being an apostle and he's saying, I'm not here to, to please men or to honor men. I'm here to glorify God. Um, I, I don't know if maybe this has ever um, happened to you. I, whenever I was in high school and I played sports, my dad worked quite a bit. He was uh, in construction, so he was out of town quite a bit. And so he didn't get to, he didn't get to come to too many games. Um, but there was a couple of games he got to come. He got to come to, and whenever I would play, um, well, I, whenever I would, whenever I would uh, play football or basketball, and I would make a play or something, I, I wasn't looking at my teammates. I wasn't looking at all the fans in the stands. I wasn't even looking at the coaches. I was looking for my father. I, I didn't care if the fans liked what I did or not. Yeah. I didn't care if any, if the opponents liked what I did. I wanted to see if my dad saw what I did. Yeah. That's who I was playing for. That's who I was competing for. Um, I, I told the story before, but. When I was in high school, and I, I played football, and then I went to a smaller school that didn't have a football team, and the only sport they had was basketball, and I'd never played basketball before, and I was a, a sophomore, and, uh, and so I'd only played football up to this time, and I, I didn't know all the rules, and so I, I was a little rough. <laughs> it was a, a, a mix of basketball and football is kind of the way that I played, and, uh, and so well, we played. We, I remember this one particular game we played, and it was a large school, and there was a lot of people that came. There's probably about 300 people in the stands. There was a lot of people, and we were playing the game, and I was 
doing my normal thing, and, and I was getting fouls, and I was, you know, playing maybe on, on the line, as maybe some people would say, and, uh, and I was getting a lot of fouls, and the people in the stands started booing me. Like, hundreds of people were booing me because of the way that I was playing, because they didn't like, because, like, I would foul somebody pretty hard or, or something of that nature, and um, I, I, will, I will say this. I've not been invited to play in the men's league, and I'm, I'm not sure why. I mean, I'm a nice guy, but I've not been invited to play yet, but uh, I won't hurt anybody. But anyway, um, no, I don't need to play. I've, those days are long beyond, <laughs> behind me. But uh, anyway, I was playing this game, and I got a couple of fouls, and people, and people booed me, and I got a couple more, and people booed me more. And eventually, I, got, I actually got ejected from the game. Uh, the referee ejected me. And, I th- and listen, I, didn't, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't hateful. I was doing what my coach told me to do. My coach told me, if that guy hurts our star player, make sure he knows that's not okay. And so I'm just making sure the guy knew that it's not okay. You don't foul our star player or else there's going to be consequences. Anyway, the point is, 300 people were booing me. Has, have you ever had that experience before? Hundreds of people booing you? Let me tell you, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Everybody's looking at me. I have everyone's attention. I've never, I'm like, this is awesome. All these people pay. Like, when you're, the, when you're the scrub basketball player and you get everybody's attention, it's amazing. You're like, wow. This is pretty cool. I even remember I was walking off the court, this one little old lady, little nicest old lady. She stood up and she pointed her little bony finger and says, we don't play like that around here, young man. And then, and then as I walked into the locker, I was like, okay, I guess that's okay. My point is, I wasn't playing for the fans. I wasn't playing for the coaches. I wasn't playing for the teammates. I was playing for my dad. I wanted my dad to be proud. I wanted my dad to, to enjoy uh, the way I was playing. And so whenever Paul is r- right into this church, he's saying, uh, hey, listen, this isn't about me. And this isn't about trying to impress you. And this isn't trying to convince you. Everything that I'm doing, if it was up to me, I wouldn't be doing this. I had a different plan for my life. I'm doing this because this is what Christ has called me to do. And that's who I want to please. And that's who I'm looking to whenever I'm, whenever I'm performing or whenever I'm serving or whenever I'm ministering. I'm trying to please him. And boy, isn't that the attitude that we should all have in church? How many... Christians get tied up in trying to impress other people, trying to, and even, even, even good intentions, just trying to make people like me. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very normal human thought to have, is I'd like people to like me. <laughs> it's better to have people like me than not like me, but boy, that can get perverted. Yeah. That can get twisted, where we now, as a Christian, we are living for others. What do others expect me to say right now? What other ex- people expect me to behave right now? Um, boy, I, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody, but man, how much have we sacrificed for what we can do for Christ because we want to conform? We don't want to be the person that, oh, what, what are, why are they going to the altar in the middle of the service? Or why are they standing up and raising their hands? Why are they, you know, these things that, that, that you know, sometimes we might get a little, um, a little uh, self-conscious about. But as Christians, our, our motive should be, am I pleasing my Father? And who cares what people think? Paul, Paul mentions it later in this chapter. We'll read to it if we get to it. That, uh, that he says, it, it, should, should, I, should I please men or should I please God? God forbid, I'm going to please God with my life. And so Paul's beginning this letter to them to express to them, this isn't about me and this isn't about my authority. It's about the authority of the gospel. And that's why, this is, that's why this message is so needed, because they were being drawn away from the true gospel. And Paul is saying, your freedom and liberty is not in religion. It's in obeying uh, the gospel that's been given to us. So we go on to read here. And not only in verse number one, he say, I have authority because I'm an apostle. But verse number two, he says, I have an authority because, oh, by the way, I started those churches. 
pastor, uh, uh, the pastor, um, the missionary, uh, uh, the deacon, even uh, to some extent. These are gifts that are given to the church, and they have authority. They have authority in the church. And Paul was a, a church planning pastor, and the pastor uh, has authority to direct the church. And as, and as members of the church, we should follow his direction and leadership. And so Paul is writing them saying, I don't have authority just because I'm the apostle. I have authority because I planted those churches. And, and, and guess what? The Jews had thousands of years, hundreds of years to come and, can, come and tell you this. And they didn't. And I did. I came and I told you this message. And so you should listen to me because I founded these churches. In verse number two, he says, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. And these are churches that Paul founded there in Galatia. He goes on to say uh, in verse number three, a very common greeting, grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul wants to refocus them on the main thing, which is the gospel. In the next couple of verses, he, he, he doesn't waste any time. He wants to remind them, hey, listen, I, I, I told you about the gospel when I came several years ago. And let me remind you just the clean, pure gospel from the word of God. He says, uh, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself. This is important. The salvation, salvation is about a person. It's about Jesus Christ. Amen. Salvation is about a person. And so Paul begins it with the person, Jesus Christ. But not just the person, but it's also about the price that he paid. But Paul goes on to say here, who gave himself for our sins. And that's the gospel. That I am, that I am sinful. That I am corrupt that I am lost, that I am undone. And if I stand before God one day, if I stand before God in my own goodness, uh, trying to earn my way to heaven, I will fail. I have sins that have to be judged. And Christ gave himself in my place. He paid for my sins. And so the gospel is about a person, but it's not just about a person, it's also about a price that was paid, but it's also about a purpose. He goes on to say here that he might deliver us from this present evil world. You know, God saved you um, not just to save you. He saved you for a reason and a purpose. And that purpose is that you would be a changed creature, that you would not continue to live according to the, to the wisdom of this world, but you would live according to the wisdom of the word of God. And so he gave himself. The gospel is to not just, well, let me tell you this. The most miraculous thing that God could ever do is not raising somebody from the dead or giving sight back to the blind or giving hearing back to the deaf, although those are all amazing things. The most amazing thing God could ever do is take a sinful man and, and, and save him and leave that man in a sinful world, but turn that man into a holy creation. And that's the purpose of the gospel. So we will not continue to live according to this evil world, but there would be change. We'd be new creatures. We would not continue to live the way that we did before. And if we find ourselves claiming that we're Christians and yet our life has not changed, our, our desires have not changed, our focus have not changed, our behaviors have not changed then we should evaluate, are we really a new creature? Are we really born again? Because the gospel is to deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he repeats this again in the last verse of this chapter, which we'll come to in a moment. And now Paul begins to engage with them on how they have fallen away from the true gospel. And they begin to introduce religion and performance and ritual back in to the liberty of the gospel. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed. And that word removed there, it almost means like to be deserted. I I'm, I'm marvel that you, are, that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And, and, and 
and certainly as Christians, we can, we can make some bad choices sometimes whenever we might go to a different uh, church, although cer- God certainly does move people in churches from time to time. We can, we can um, cer- certainly put ourselves at risk if we would me- maybe even go to a different faith, although there are other churches that preach the gospel the way that we do, but they might call, call themselves a different denomination. But let me tell you, there's no worse decision you could ever make than if you were to go to another gospel. And Paul was telling them, you haven't just gone to a different church, you haven't just gone to a different denomination, you have gone to a whole nother gospel. And what was this, gospel, this new gospel? This gospel was, was uh, what the Jews were saying was, well, you, you, although you are saved and although you've accepted Christ, you still have to behave like you're a Jew operating in the Old Covenant. And, and, and what, I mean, what Paul in the book of Romans, if you recall, we studied that a few weeks ago, what Paul was trying to make very clear to them is, it's either it's either you're getting to heaven by keeping the law by your works or you're getting to heaven by the grace of God but it can't be a combination of the two Amen. because the well, the one moment that you take any bit of good works and you put it into grace it's not grace anymore and the one moment that you take grace and you put it into the works it's not works anymore you got to pick one or the other and that's what Paul was telling this church. He's saying, you, you have gone to another gospel, a gospel that's based upon rules and rituals and works. And that, and that gospel has failed for thousands of years. I have a new covenant to give to you, and it's a new gospel. And it is, it's liberty, it's freedom from all those rules and rituals and religion. But here's the challenge we have as Christians is it's much easier to follow man-made religion than follow God. It's much easier for someone just to say, Here's some rules to keep that some man made up and to actually walk with God day by day and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his leading and his guidance. That takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of faith. That takes a lot of obedience. And it's much easier just to be able to live our lives however we want and then just keep some man-made rules and regulations. I, I, I'm reminded of, you know, you guys remember like uh, that Victorian era of the world. You know, you might have seen movies or TV shows where they kind of show how people live back in those days. And it's, I always find it's such a, it's such an interesting, um, it's such an interesting uh, uh, paradigm where you have these people that, on the outside, I mean, they had rules on top of rules. Like if, if you went to go to somebody's house to eat, there were certain etiquettes you had to have. And there were like certain spoons and forks you could use at different types of meals. And it was all very rigid and it was all very, you know, <laughs> regulated. And it was all very, you know, you had all this peer pressure to conform and behave to all these man-made religions but if you look at the people that lived in those days these are evil corrupt people like um you know like uh, you you know you've heard these that we even use it today in our own modern vernacular you know that person thinks they're a bigwig you know that's the kind of the way that we'll talk about somebody where'd that phrase come from it came from back in these days where people had all these formalities and regulations and rules and rituals to 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 convince other people that they were a good, upstanding citizen because they behaved themselves properly and with good manners. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think it's important to have good manners. I think it's important to be- behave yourself in the right way in, in certain certain. I mean, there's a time and place for everything, and, and I believe in that. And I try and, with mixed results, try and keep, teach that to my kids to have good manners and say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and thank you, and please, and all those types of things. But this is, this is where it gets perverted is where you have all these rules and rituals and regulations, and yet these people... The reason why they wore wigs was because everyone back in those days had syphilis. 
and their hair would fall out, and they would get wounds all over their face. And so they wear these wigs to cover their baldness and cover their, their syphilis scars. And so the bigger the wig, it was, you know, the, the, the more wealthy the person, and it was all this put on, it was all this show, it was all this. Why do they do that? Because it's, it's easier to follow the rules of man than walk with God. It's easier to keep up an appearance and just say, look how, look how, you know, I, I used the right fork with my salad, the right spoon with my soup, and all that silliness that, that, that people did back in those days. And even so, sometimes, even, even, even today, when you go to a very formal dinner, they'll have these, and once again, I'm not against those things, but I'm just saying, it does no good to have all the best manners in the world, and yet inside you're just full of wickedness and, and adultery and corruption. And that's what was going on back in this Victorian era. And so Paul is saying, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that calls you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So they had not just deserted the gospel, now they've perverted the gospel. They're adding things to it. They're saying, yeah, 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 you, uh, salvation is by Jesus Christ, but you also have to get circumcised. Oh, yeah, 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 you're, you, yeah you're, you're in grace and you're a Gentile, but you have to come and worship on the Sabbath with us. And you have to keep all the, you know, keep all the rituals that we have. And if you don't do that, then you're not saved. And, and let's once again be clear, you know, uh, especially, you know, our, our church, Independent Baptist Church, um, we're, more, we're, we're a more conservative church. We're more, well, I don't know if we're a formal church. I don't know if I would say that. But we're, we're more, we have more conservative standards. And there's some people from the outside looking in, they would say, that church is legalistic. They're legalistic. They have all these, they have all these you know, requirements and rules you have to have as a Christian, and that's not legalism. Legalism is you add something to salvation. That's legalism. Legalism is saying you have to be baptized to be saved. That's legalism. You can be saved without being baptized. But if you add something to salvation, if you add something to the gospel, that's legalism. And that's what was happening in this church. They were introducing, they were saying, yes, salvation is by Christ, but you also have to hold up your end of the bargain. That's a work salvation. If someone is, if someone is telling you salvation is you have to hold up your end of the bargain, or you have, to, you have to behave a certain way or live a certain way to be saved, that's legalism and that's not salvation. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel as we looked at, well, let's just continue to read through here which is not another gospel, but there would be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Amen. Now, what's Paul's response to this? Well, and let's talk about these, these people that would pervert the gospel just for a moment. Why would, why would they do that? What would their motives be if they were, if they were to do this? Their motives are, you, yeah, Paul actually reveals it in chapter 4 in verse number 17. Paul talking about these these false teachers that were coming in and trying to get them to fall back into Judaism. In chapter 4, verse 17, he said, they zealously affect you, but not well. What Paul is saying is, boy, they give you a lot of attention. They give you a lot of, they give you a lot of, uh, they give you a lot of their, um, their time, and they, and, they, and they give you a lot of, you know, they make you feel good. But he goes on to say here in this verse, um, but not well, but not for your good. They're, they're, they're giving you attention because they're, they're trying to influence you. They're trying to get you to be on their side. They're looking for power. That's why these people are doing this. They're, they're, they're you know, they're, uh, they're you know, whatever, whatever kind of ver, 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 uh, verbiage you want to use, they're, you know, buttering you up or they're, you know, all the different things that people say, but they're doing it because they have selfish intentions. They're, they're affecting you with great, with great zeal, but not to your good. But then he goes on to say in this verse, 
They would exclude you. They're trying to keep me from you. They don't, want, they don't want me to talk to you. They don't want me to send you letters. They, would, they don't want me to communicate. They're trying to exclude you that ye might affect them. So what was Paul saying here? He said, why are these false leaders coming in and teaching this false gospel? Well, first of all, they're, they're, they're deceiving you. They're, 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 they're conniving you. They're, they're con artists. They're, they're, they're buttering you up so, that, so then they can get things from you. And they don't want me to come because they want all the attention for themselves. That's what Paul was talking about whenever he mentioned these false teachers that had, that had come in and were, and were perverting the gospel. But then Paul says here in verse number 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul made it real clear. He said, listen, the message I gave you the first time has not changed. And if some other, if some other being, some other supernatural being, or even I myself come back to you later and I say, I was wrong, guys, let me be accursed. Let me be cut off. Let me be destroyed. That's what that word means. And so, and, so, and so Paul was reminding them. And what was the, the gospel? We looked at it last week. Just turn in your Bible a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We looked at this just last week. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and thereby ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory... That which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And then here's the gospel. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. That's it. And if anybody at any time ever comes to you and says, you know, uh, there was this guy up in upper New York and this angel named Moroni came to him and gave him some golden tablets and some golden goggles, and he was able to read it, and we now have a new gospel, they should be accursed. If somebody from some other religion comes knocking on your door, and they're Jehovah's Witness, and, they, and they're telling you about some new gospel, let them be accursed. The question I always like to ask those people when they come to my house, or whenever I inter- interact with them out in public, is, and, is, I, is I, as I, tell, I ask them, okay, tell me what the gospel is. And they'll say, well, the gospel, and they'll they'll usually pair it back something similar to the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And then I'll say, well, if that's what you're trying to convince me, I already believe that. Why do I need to believe anything else? What what new thing do you have for me? And and, and truthfully, the easiest thing to do is, if you're maybe uncomfortable engaging with those type of people, is just have a couple of notations in your Bible in in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians chapter 1. And if somebody ever comes to you and they're trying to declare to your new gospel, just ask them, say, what's the gospel? Tell me it right now. Tell me it. And they probably will either not tell you what the Bible says, they'll give you some light version of it, and then you can usually take them and say, here's the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then go to Galatians chapter 1 and say, if it's not the same gospel in Corinthians 15, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with it because it's a different gospel. It's been perverted. It's a new gospel. And then he goes on to say here in verse number 10, and now this is where he says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I, yet, if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What Paul is saying is if I was living my life to please men, I should have stayed back where I was. I had a much better path 
to 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 uh, to power. He he could have he could. I mean, he was on the track to you know replace the the members of the fair. He was going to be a fair a, a part of the Sanhedrin, part of the ruling religious class. That was the trajectory that he was on. And he's like, if my life was about uh, getting power or getting authority for myself or getting people to follow me, I should have stayed in Judaism. But I've not done that. I've come. I've left all that behind. I have nothing to gain. And yet, so I'm. So who am I, who am I trying to uh, persuade here? Am I trying to persuade men, or am I trying to please God? Well, he was trying to please God. And then he begins to tell them why they should believe him. And once again, he's not defending himself. He's defending the gospel. What he's trying to say is, if this was about me, none of these things would have happened. The, the things we're fixing to read. The, the, the following verse, if this was about me and my desires and me getting power and me getting authority and me getting money and me getting privilege, I would have not done any of these things I'm fixing to tell you. I only did these things because the gospel is true. That's what Paul is communicating to this church here. And, so the, and then he tells us his story of his own conversion, how he went from a, a persecutor to a believer and finally to a preacher himself. He says here, but I certify you, brethren, <clears throat> that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversion... In times past, in the Jews' religion, <clears throat> how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So Paul is saying, you know my story, that I started out persecuting the church, and I had great authority, and I was above many of my equals because of how zealous I was. I was on the fast track to success in my life. I had the six-figure job waiting for me. I had everything lined up. It was going to be great. It was exactly as I planned it. But God had different plans for my life. And once again, Paul is trying to communicate, if this was about me and what I wanted, I wouldn't be doing this. This is about what God wants. And he goes on to say, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace... To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I to Jerusalem to them which were the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. And so what Paul is saying here is then, he's saying once again, listen, I had a, I had a, I had a advantage where I was before, before I began to be an apostle. I had an advantage, and I left that. And I, not just, and I not just left that advantage, if once again, if I was really trying to work my way up into authority and, and, and be in charge of people, I would have gone to Jerusalem. That's where, that's where the church was. That's where Peter was. That's where James was. That's where I should have gone. But I didn't do that. Paul says that he went to Arabia. This is, we don't know a lot about this time in Paul's life, but whenever you look at the, the, um, the harmony of Paul's life in the book of Acts, and then you lay over at that all the epistles, what you find is, we don't know the exact timeline, but roughly what you find is that Paul spent about three years in Arabia, and then during that time, he was there being taught by Jesus Christ himself. That's what was going on in Paul's life during that time. So for three years, he wasn't out planting churches, he wasn't in Jerusalem at the church, he was out in a desert somewhere with Jesus for three years. Just studying the scripture, being taught by the Holy Spirit, there, there may have been more revelations of Jesus, we don't know, Paul didn't mention any of that, but... But, but Jesus Christ himself was his mentor, was teaching him. And then even after three years, he didn't go back to Jerusalem. He went back to Damascus, the church that he got saved out of. 
the church that he was, he was blinded at and that he got his sight back and that he was called at. He went back there. And then we don't know for sure, but ballpark about seven years, he spent back in his own kind of home area, his home region. And, and for about 10 years, Paul wasn't, you know, the amazing church planner that we all, he was just serving in obscurity in isolation, with nobody patting him on the back or giving him high fives or praising him. He was just faithfully serving for about a decade. And once again, Paul is saying, listen, guys, if this was about me and what I wanted, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have taken 10 years and just spent them out in the middle of nowhere. And then when I, when I got done with my training, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have gone back to Damascus. And then if you continue reading on, he says, um, after 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem um, so this was the time after, so he gets out of Arabia, he goes to Damascus, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Now, if you go back and look in the book of Acts, what you'll find is that Paul did come to, uh, to uh, Jerusalem, he did meet with Peter and James, but there was a lot of opposition and he left because he was, he was in danger. So he only stayed in Jerusalem for 15 days, but other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, therefore before God I lie not. Afterward I came into the region of Syria and Cilicia, which that was his hometown where he came from, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that, uh, that he which per persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which, none, which, was, which once he destroyed. So this is the timeline of Paul here. He is, uh, he's converted on the road to Damascus. Um, he goes to that, if he goes to that city, if you recall the story in the book of Acts, they had to let him out of the window by the rope. Yeah. That was in Damascus. It was immediately after he was converted. He gets out of Damascus, and that's when he goes to Arabia. And for three years, he's there um, learning from Christ, learning from the Holy Spirit, studying the scriptures. He leaves and goes to Jerusalem, but only for 15 days. And then he goes back to his hometown, and for about seven years, he just serves in obscurity. And that's when he's saying here, nobody knew me by, my, by face. No, I wasn't showing up and trying to make much of myself. I was just faithfully serving in obscurity. And it wasn't until about seven years later that Barnabas comes and recruits him and he becomes the church planner and the great missionary that we all read about today. Right. And, and what Paul is saying here is, once again, this is, this is not the path that a, that a selfish, motive, motivated person would take. If it is, it's a, pre it's a pretty, pretty bad plan. <laughs> It's a pretty bad plan. Paul is saying, this isn't about me. And he, and he closes this chapter with this verse. He says, what's it all about? We're going to get done early, guys. What's it all about? Verse number 24. And they glorified God in me. This is, what, this is what the whole thing is about. It's all about God. It's about God receiving the glory. All these things transpired not to come pat me on the back, Paul is saying. Not to lift me up. This was all done so that God would, would receive glory, not me. That God would be the one that, that, is, that is being glorified and looked to and magnified. And, and I would just say this, in, in, in the day in which we live, there's a lot of people, you, you even hear our presidents, will say, God bless America. We have it on our currency. And God we trust. But let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you, if you magnify God, you'll also magnify the Son. And if you don't magnify the Son, you're not, you're not magnifying the Father. This is, this is the distinction. If you, don't pray, if you don't praise Jesus Christ, you're not praising God. People can say God all day, and they can be talking about Muhammad, and they can be talking about 
some other whatever random God, Zeus, whatever. But if you're truly going to praise the one and true living God, it has to be in conjunction with Jesus Christ. And it's, it's real easy to kind of skate by, oh yeah, yeah, I love God, I worship God. But it's a lot different to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. God is great, yep, believe it, I say it, the Bible says it. But if you separate Jesus out of that equation, you're not praising the true God. You're praising some false God. And so Paul sums it all up with, with this final thought. He's saying, it's not about me. It's not about my testimony. It was all about God receiving glory. And by, by all, these, all these things transpiring, God received glory. And that's the, that's the, uh, the freedom of the gospel. Amen. That's the freedom of the gospel. That it's, it's not about anything that I can do, that I can receive. Nobody's going to get to heaven uh, and, you know, like, hey, what a great job you did down there. You know, you, 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 you earned your way to heaven. What, a, what an amazing life you lived. Nobody's going to have that testimony in heaven. You know who's going to get all the praise and glory in heaven? It will be God. Amen. It will be God and his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. That's where all of our focus should be. That's where all of our purpose should be. And that's where we find freedom. Because it's not about my performance and me earning salvation or impressing somebody else or being a man pleaser. It's about God receiving the glory for all that's been done. So we will uh, be dismissed in a word of prayer. And um, next week we'll continue through our study of the 52 favorite chapters of the Bible as voted upon by this class. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us. We thank you for this word and we thank you for the freedom, the, the liberty that we have in the gospel. It's so simple that we just have to trust in you. And Lord, help us to be defenders of the true gospel. Lord, not to, be, um, not to desert the gospel, not to leave it, not to pervert the gospel, add to it, but Lord, to defend the gospel and that you would receive all the praise and glory for it. We do pray for our service to come, especially on this special day where we have many visitors invited, that you would use our pastor in a mighty way, that you would speak to hearts, and Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for the message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.